So, we started a political party, but we've got one big problem. We have absolutely no idea what to put in our manifesto. I'm Quinn Strachan, and I'm joined by my fellow political sleuths, Will Mitchell. And from today, we're really glad to welcome Graham Wilson to the team to provide some amazing insight, especially on the subject of Scottish politics, as you'll hear later on in the episode. Our podcast is all about exploring policies and ideas from across the fringes of British politics in order to come up with our own party manifesto. Today's episode, a by-election special, is a little different to our normal proceedings as we're looking back on a recent by-election that took place in Scotland. Why? Because by-elections are notorious for their weird and wacky candidates and their equally intriguing ideas. So what better place to look at some weird and wacky policies? Coming up, the pioneering socialist who once drove Tony Blair into the arms of Gordon Brown, thereby, potentially, helping to kickstart the formation of New Labour. An Indian prince, come pop star, who was running in two by-elections at the same time, and a mysterious candidate who once sold a stolen phone to someone on this very show. All that and much more to come in this episode. So, let's kick things off. How are we guys? Good, good. Nowhere else I'd rather be first thing on a Saturday morning. Very good, thank you. We're recording this week's episode on Saturday the 7th of October and discussing the results of the recent Hamilton and Rutherglen by-election in which 14 candidates in total stood to become the new constituency MP. Spoiler alert, as you may already know, it was won by Michael Shanks of Labour, it was a landslide. Yeah, he managed it with 58.6% of the vote he managed to secure. About 25% swing as well, which is gigantic. But that's the top of the list. And obviously, our pod isn't strictly about the top of the list candidates. So for today's episode, we're going to be looking into the bottom up. But first, I guess the best place to start is, because not everyone's going to be familiar with um, the area itself. So it's, it's Rutherglen and Hamilton West. So it's two places. But it's in South Lanarkshire, as there's North Lanarkshire and South Lanarkshire, sort of near Motherwell, between Motherwell and Glasgow. So that strip of land between Edinburgh and Glasgow, which is the main kind of population and economic corridor of Scotland. So why was there an election here? Margaret Ferrier, who is the SNP MP for the seat, uh, she won it off Labour in 2017, 2019, sorry. Basically during COVID, she contracted COVID and she got on a train to London this uh, obviously didn't go down very well with the local constituents. A process to, to recall her began. Basically, people can sign a petition. I think it's a, a 10, 12,000 people sign this petition that a by-election is triggered. Anything above, yeah, 10% of your eligible constituents is needed. And about 15% of the uh, constituents there signed it. Yeah, so quite a significant number came out to say they weren't happy with Ferrier being, being their MP. We made some predictions before the election went ahead. And we're going to open this at some point. When when do we think we should open these? Should we go through the results first? Should we open these now? What do you think, Will? Maybe go for the results first, and then we can see how close we got. Because uh, we're going to start with the people who came last, aren't we? All the way to the top. Let's, let's do it. Um, and we're going to start yep. right, at the, right at the bottom. So the candidate came last. So you said Michael Shanks got 17,000-ish votes. Yeah, 17, 58% of the vote. And just remind everyone, there's 14 candidates in this. So who was unlucky number, well, Mr. 14? Mr. 14 with not quite 17,000 votes. So it's Gary Cook, who got six votes. Oh, that's tough. It wasn't like five votes, really, because he definitely would have voted for himself. Um, You've surely got to think you've got more than five friends or family sat in the area as well if you're running. Surely. Uh, as I understand it, Gary was standing on the on the Scottish football ticket. So he feels that um, Scotland's football clubs have been hard done by in the SPL, the Scottish Premier League. And his main thing is uniting the English Premier League 
and the Scottish Premier League into one super UK league. Yeah. You you say it's his main thing. I would argue it's his only thing. You think we'd do quite well at Hamilton, given you know there's lots of unionists there. It's got a very big unionist club, the Hamilton Unionist Club. I I, I spoke to a football fan. I went and found one um, as part of the, <laughs> the in-depth they, research. They do exist. Yeah, yeah. So that's the lens we'll go to this podcast. Um, and I asked them. They were a Scottish football fan. I said, "Is this a good idea?" And they said, "They said no." There's your answer. No. Uh, I will maintain again, anyone that's running in a by-election, it's it's an impressive feat to do. Certainly not yeah. to say, you know, this is, a, this is a bad thing by any means. No, it takes a lot of courage and to stand up for something. So no, I think good on Gary. My only issue with Gary, and I, and I think this is quite an unfair one, is that he's got two R's in his first name. And I've I've never seen that before. That did make him hard to Google, I must say, because it kept trying to correct me to a single R for Gary. I think it's maybe a cunning electoral plot because if another Gary Cook, a regular R, Gary stands, mm. then this Gary Cook will be higher up the list on the paper than them, the voting slip. Very smart. Well, are there any other Gary Cooks? Shall we move on to the next in our list? To game? I, I think I think number 13 on the list, Prince Ankit Love, Emperor of India. Oh, I've got quite a bit about, about Prince Ankit. He's quite the character. He's a man of many professions. So not only is he an artist, he also got a production company. He's had a number one hit music video at MTV USA, two films at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, and was also the exiled Maharaja uh, of a princely state in Kashmir. Can I? Yeah, can I stop you? Because I, I don't, I don't know if he is. That, that is, he's self-proclaimed, and I guess for for context, Kashmir is still governed by India. Um, it, it used to have its own emperor. Then the last one was. Uh, Maharaja Harry Singh, who ruled from 1925 to 1947. This is not the research I thought we were, that I'd be doing for, for this episode. But I wanted to know, I was like, is he actually related? I don't think so, but I think calling himself the self-proclaimed emperor of India, is it's a protest and it's a way of making a statement, raising awareness of, of the issue and the plight of Kashmir. Yes, because I was going to say, you said um, Kashmir is in India for the sake of not causing any trouble and... Um... In the subcontinent, it's split between India and Pakistan. But apparently, he does actually have royal connections. So apparently, he's from the royal Dogra dynasty. <laughs> now he's um, a political candidate. Uh, stood in the London mayor election in 2016, then in Tooting by-election, Batley in Spen, um, Richmond Park, and Westminster. So he's a pretty experienced by-election candidate. And uh, now he's concurrently standing in both mid-Bedfordshire. So there can't be that many people standing in two by-elections at the same time. What is it with candidates and running in multiple random by-elections, I'd say? You know, like, w- what do they gain from it when they're, when they're not gaining that many votes overall? I think it's, one, they're, they're giving themselves as many opportunities as possible to... I mean, like, uh, okay, he, he stands on a platform of anti-pollution, so improving air quality. Uh, he talks a little bit about trying to legalise cannabis uh, on a license so, so there's specific policies that he really believes in and by running i mean we're we're talking about him on on this very very well listened to podcast i'm sure um but he's he's on news articles and so he's getting some press and he's getting attention he also he also i think my favorite policy of his not in this election but when he ran to be london mayor uh was trying to oh he wanted to set up a space uh base in order to ensure that we could shoot down any asteroids heading towards london that was That's one incredible. Of his, that was one I, of his policies. This is running alongside his career in Indian politics as well, because he's the son of um, well, he's a, he's a patron of the National Panthers Party, and he stood to be Prime Minister of India in 2019, 
set up the Jabnu and Kashmir National Panthers Party. Uh, they also stood to be Prime Minister of India yeah, in 2019. Coming in at 12th, we've got Ewan Hoyle of Vault UK, who managed to get 46 votes. I could kick off with it with a bit of a uh, more about Vault UK. Have, have, you, have you guys heard of Vault before? No, not, before the, not before this. Uh, it was set up in Europe initially, so Vault Europa, um, which was founded on the 29th of March 2017 by uh, Andrea Venson, Colomb Can Salvador, and Damien Boslager. I've probably butchered those names, to be oh, honest. Uh, did, br- did brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were each from France, Italy, and Germany. Um, so it's the 29th of March 2017. Um, might sound uh, like a familiar date, because uh, that was the same day that the UK formally announced its intention to leave the European Union under Article 50. Um, so it was set up uh, as partly as a response to to Brexit, but also as a response to growing populism uh, in Europe in general. I thought that was interesting. They're specifically trying to, let's say, combat, for lack of a better word, populism, the spread of populism, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's right. And they consider themselves to be very progressive. They consider themselves to be quite centre ground and trying to find sensible solutions to the world's problems. Uh, Vault UK be unsurprising given it's very much a European party and European movement campaigns on rejoining the EU, um, which yeah is, is one of their big stances, something Ewan Hoyle really is a strong believer in. Uh, Ewan Hoyle, a former Liberal Democrat, and he found Vault when he became disillusioned with the Lib Dems. Yes, so I, I was going to ask him about the, the Lib Dem connection, because you'd think um, these people would either be have been former members or maybe considered working with the Lib Dems about getting back into the EU. My, my question really was, have they had any electoral success anywhere in Europe? Are they on any councils, any, any MEPs? Yeah, so I think within a year of launching, they secured a couple of uh, MEPs from Germany. So they had some success. They're yet to achieve UK success. This is the they, they've, they've had no UK success. I mean, one of the things they really campaign on is proportional representation, um, which might help them, actually, to, to be elected. Can I tell you something fun about Ewan Hoyle? Sure. So he, uh, at some point, he launched a space force. Is this the UK's equivalent to the US launched, what was it called? Donald Trump's space force? What would he call that? I think they're just called the Space Force. They are just called the Space Force. (laughs) There you go. Uh, No, uh, it's not. (laughs) Not at all. And he is not a surprise eccentric billionaire. But he he founded the Pollock Shields Shields Space Force, which was established during lockdown, uh, where he works with others to improve the community's green spaces and streetscapes in his spare time. Next up, we have coming in at number 11, Andrew Daly, an independent candidate. Managed to secure 81 votes. And he's probably the most mysterious of them, isn't he? Because I, I haven't found anything about him. Uh, only only a very, very couple of lines describing his why he's running, and that's it. Did anyone else have, have more luck? I've just got what he had on the record, where he just says he's unimpressed by the performance of the major parties, and he described Margaret Ferrier, the COVID MP, her actions as an insult to the people of the constituency. If I was Gary Cook, I'd be quite yeah, embarrassed that yeah, he's having a full platform and actual policies. He's lost a man who has no information about him anywhere. And and has 81, 81 votes, which is significantly more than Gary got. I, I have a few theories on who he might be. Can I share them? Please. Some of them are a bit more outlandish, but um, you can let me know your thoughts. <laughs> so theory number one is that he's just a local lad who goes regularly to his local pub. 
um, has debates with his friends in the pub and thought it'd be a great idea to stage a sort of mini revolution together. And everyone in the sort of pub community voted him. Theory two is that he's not actually Andrew Daly, but is actually Gary Cook, um, but with a <laughs> fake name so they can try to implement his football aims. And then third theory is that he might just be a genuine bloke who's fed up with politicians and took some initiative. Next up, coming in at number 10 with a, a whopping 178 votes, we have Christopher Samani of the TUSC party. Trade unionist, the Socialist Coalition. It just, yeah, goes off your tongue, doesn't it? TUSC. <laughs> yeah, I, I just a quick point in here. I, I had to give each of the candidates a nickname so I could remember who they were. This candidate I put as very red as my helpful way of remembering who they are. Any thoughts on Christopher? I mean, I've been looking a bit into the into the alliance. Um, so they're a socialist electoral alliance co-founded by RMT Union General Secretary Bob Crow, who some people might be familiar with, and made up of a lot of members of, of some of the big, biggest unions. So it's very much a political alliance for unionists, of course, with socialist intentions. Also, George Galloway's Workers' Party of Britain are involved in this alliance. Uh, we'll come to them in a second. But yeah, they're, 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 they're plugged into the landscape and they stand on a national level. So they're, yeah, they're, they're no joke. They're, they're a serious party. They are serious. And they, um, I mean, when Jeremy Corbyn was leader of the Labour Party, they agreed not to stand any candidates in Labour seats to try and support. So big, big supporters of Jeremy Corbyn. Can I tell you a little bit about the leader of the, of the coalition? So it's a man called Dave Nellist. So Dave Nellist was a former Labour MP for nine years uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And while he was an MP, he became quite famous for the fact that he only took the wage of a skilled factory worker, which at the time amounted to 46% of what was then an MP's salary. And then he gave the rest of his salary to, to various different causes. He was expelled from Labour in 1992 due to his support for the militant tendency. Um, and if you don't if you don't know what that is, so it was a Trotskyist group in the British Labour Party, and its politics were based on the thoughts of people like Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky. You you get you get the point. Did, did um, you say that was Karl Marx who said there? It sounded like you said Karl Marx. I thought you said Karl Marx. Karl Marx, the the, the less known of, <laughs> of the Marx family. But yeah, so as you can imagine, very much to the left of the Labour Party. But let me tell you my favourite story with him so when he first became an mp he was put he was made to share an office with another newly elected labor mp who was a man by the name of tony blair oh i've, I've, heard, of. I've heard of him yeah <laughs> i've heard of him and unsurprisingly they did not get along and uh, it was described as quite a lot of tension in in the office at the time so much to the extent that they moved tony blair to a different office and he shared with another newly elected MP, a man called Gordon Brown. Ah, Gordy. Well, so my theory is that Dave Nellist, ironically, helped to found New Labour. Well, I think New Labour was quite a reaction to Militant as well, because Militant famously took over Liverpool City Council in the 80s and ran it into bankruptcy. And there's these famous tales about, you know, um, the bus drivers wouldn't go to work. So everything was done by taxi. And the whole city, basically, the administration collapsed. And out of that came Jeremy Corbyn's momentum movement. A lot of them were ex-militant members. And this explains the panic from your Blairites and Labour Party at the rise of Jeremy Corbyn. Next up at number nine, we have Colette Walker, the first of our three female candidates that we have on the bill. 
for the ISP party. Now, what does ISP stand for? Is it the International Social Partnership? I thought it'd be something to do with the internet, but unfortunately not. It's the uh, Independent Scotland Party. What do we think about Colette? Anything about them? In my notes, I've got them written down as Scottish Sinn Féin. And why, why is that? Well, they want to be elected, but very much not send candidates to Westminster um, in the same way that Sinn Féin do in Northern Ireland. So I presume that's in protest to perceived British colonialism. I think that's sort of a bit more on the, the hardcore element of the nationalist spectrum. So unlike the SNP who want to rejoin the EU, I think the Independence of the Scotland Party just want to join EFTA, the European Free Trade Association, so they can maintain their Caledonian sovereignty. They do. And they call um, Westminster, I mean, back on your point, Cronin, they call it a foreign parliament. And they make quite a big big point Ooh. of doing that. Colette, Colette Walker herself, so she has a central policy on a commitment to protecting women's single sex spaces and the safeguarding of vulnerable groups, including women, the disabled, the elderly and children. I, I found a policy from the ISP that I think you'd be a big supporter of, Cronin. Tell me more. So they support introducing a universal basic income, which would be paid to all permanent legal residents of Scotland. And the income is to be funded in a socially socially just and equitable manner. I love it, but it does very much sound like we're going to do this and it's going to be amazing. There's not very much detail there because I love, I of course, support the idea and I want it. But how are we going to do that? That is true. They're also firmly against all nuclear installations, both fission and fusion. In Scotland, Ooh. I thought that was an interesting stance. Ooh, that is interesting. And they have actually achieved some electoral success as well. So Roddy McCush, who I think is um, yeah, from Argyll and Butte Council, he became their first ever elected representative in 2021. And, and Graham, why do you think, so everyone, well, I assume most people have heard of SNP, of course, um, because they govern in Scotland, very, obviously the biggest pro-independence, Scottish independence party. And people have probably heard of ALBA as well, launched only a few years ago, again, campaigning on Scottish independence. Why Why do you think ISP are, are le- like not as well known, especially given they've been around for, for quite quite a long time? Well, I think the, obviously there's a crowded marketplace. Uh, when you're up against a sort of a, um, a juggernaut like the SNP, it's easy for these parties to be lost. Uh, but what you've got to remember is the SNP is not really a party. It's like a big coalition of parties all in one. It's a bit like the Tory party in that regard. Now, you know, um, Sturgeon's gone and Sabin's on the wings. They're starting to fracture into these these small groups. But yeah, I think it's tricky for them to cut through. And also, if you want independence, you're going to vote for the SNP, really, aren't you? Um, unless you think they're not doing it quick enough, in which case you vote for Alba. But I think there's just a virtual consensus that you'd be harming the independence cause if you give votes to these these smaller parties. So the best thing to do to get independence is to coalesce your votes. I'm interested you, just as a quick tangent, saying that the Tory party isn't a party in itself. Are you referring to the factions of the party or uniting behind the one banner? Or are you saying they are quite literally different parties held together as a coalition? Uh, the Tory party has always been different parties held together in a coalition. I mean, to the example of the Scottish Conservatives, that they're a party within a party. Um, then you've got stuff like the New Conservatives and you know, the ERG, who may as well be at some points separate parties within the same banner. The SNP is like that as well. Shall we move on to who's next? I mean, now we're getting into some high numbers, aren't we? Coming in at number eight, 271 votes. The person I've got down is ultra red. This is the Scottish socialist candidate, Bill Bonner. So Bill Bonner is quite quite well known, I would say, in Scottish politics. He's been around a long time and one of the founders of the Scottish Socialist Party, founded in 1998. Also campaigns for Scottish independence, believes in an independent Scottish Republic, 
uh, on welfare for democratic public ownership of the economy. Perhaps unsurprisingly, he echoes a lot of the same views that Christopher echoed earlier in terms of a £15 minimum wage and also only taking the wage of a skilled worker, an average skilled worker, if he was to be elected. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of their policies are very, they align very closely with each other, which is which is why it's interesting that they both stood in, in this election and didn't come to some sort of agreement, because um, I couldn't really find what was different. I would argue maybe the Scottish Socialist Party is a bit more well-known in Scotland. Um, they've had more success as well, uh, politically. So at the height of their success in 2003, the party had six MSPs and, and two councillors. Famously led at the time by, by Toby Sheridan, he got himself into some hot water. Tommy Sheridan's quite a prominent figure in Scottish politics, but he decided to go and visit a swingers club in Manchester. And this got out and prompted quite a degree of controversy. I think he was married at the time as well, which didn't help things. And since then, the SSP have slid. But they are very active. They have a very active fly postering division. As at one point, you couldn't move in Edinburgh for SSP posters slapped on walls. And they would regularly have a street store outside my flat. So they, they, they've they got support on the ground. Yeah, I would I would often see the other founder, Colin Fox, campaigning in Edinburgh, very often. Um, so they've got a good presence. And and they do have a good support base as well. Poor Tommy Sheridan. I'm just Googling this after you, you mentioned that fat Graham. And yeah, he, he panics when... So the Swingers Club itself was in a broken down industrial state in Manchester. He probably thought, I'll head along there. No one's going to know who I am. But apparently he panicked as soon as we, the people quoting here, went in because there were a couple of people from Glasgow who recognised him immediately. I feel a bit sorry <laughs> for Tommy that, you know, this was probably all over the papers 20 years ago or so. And now here we are talking about it on the podcast when we rather rather we forget it. We won't um, let it die. Unfortunately, it has become a part of SSP history. which is So talk about Bill, Bill Bonner. So he, he's been an activist for over 40 years. Uh, he previously worked as an aid worker in Sudan. Uh, before the 1989 coup and has worked full-time in the field of community development and social and economic regeneration for the past 25 years. Uh, he also, before helping to found the SSP, he helped to found the Communist Party of Scotland and became its national secretary in, in 1992. And and while researching him, I found uh, something particularly interesting, which was his support for Nicholas Maduro, if you know who that is, who's the president of Venezuela. Yeah. So did you see this well? So following like the failed uprising in 2019, where opposition political forces attempted to remove Maduro from power, Bill Boner was sent in his capacity as the international spokesperson for the SSP to Venezuela for some eyewitness reporting. So he went to Venezuela to to find out what was going on. And while there, he said that the international media outlets were greatly exaggerating the lack of support for Nicolas Maduro and that he was really loved by the population. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting. He's an interesting person to put your support behind. But it does kind of make sense because for a long time, Venezuela, uh, I'm more thinking Hugo Chavez here, who was um, in power in Venezuela for a long time before Nicolas Maduro took over. Venezuela is really seen as, as championing the socialist cause. And Nicolas Maduro himself, you know, he was a bus driver, then a trade union representative, and then entered politics. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. I, I will just say that uh, I should clarify that the international community almost unilaterally agree that Maduro is an autocrat and dictator. Under his leadership, Venezuela has dropped 42 places in the Press Freedom Index. More than 9,000 people have been subject to extrajudicial executions, and over 7 million people have fled the country. 
This is quite a recurring theme amongst left-wing politicians in the UK. Jeremy Corbyn, notably a very big fan of Venezuela, because Venezuela had these huge oil reserves and that enabled it to go in this big socialist spending programme. So it was the poster child for sort of extreme socialism working, basically. And now, due to various economic mismanagement and the bottom falling out of the oil market, they're pretty screwed, I think it's fair to say. Great. So coming in at number seven and cracking the 1% vote barrier... With 319 votes, we have Niall Fraser of the Scottish Family Party. Now, a quick spoiler, I had this guy down at 14th, perhaps, as a bit of wishful thinking on my part. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I haven't done too much research into them, but what I get is a very progressive, very left-leaning, um, very popular <laughs> in general with the population. Is that is that right? Am I close, Graham? I, um, I, I, no. Uh, I think it's fair to say <laughs> Uh, well, where where to begin? But <laughs> I, I, I actually I have them quite high up. Um, but we'll get to the rankings in a bit. But I I thought they wouldn't do terribly because there's always enough of a core vote for them. But anyway, um, founded in 2017, uh, the Scottish Family Party says it's ostensibly standing for families. In reality, um, they're quite a, a religious party. I've had some first-hand experience of them uh, as their leader and founder, Richard Lucas. Uh, he used to be my teacher at school. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah, he, he was um yeah, he's a maths teacher and taught critical thinking. The critical thinking part is slightly concerning. Maybe, um, yeah, maybe he, they're lacking that in both of their party, I don't know. I quit that that module, I quit that course, <laughs> and I feel vindicated now, I have to say. Um they're very big on the, the anti-trans issue. They're very big on defending children's rights. They want to stop what they see as perverse sex education in schools. And they've a very motivated base of quite religious folk. But Niall Fraser is an interesting character. He's been building quite a profile at the fringes, the unionist fringes of Scottish politics over the past few years. He rose to prominence, doing a lot of videos on Twitter. And also he's involved with George Galloway's All for Unity, the Alliance for Unity, the party whose name no one's quite sure of as it kept changing throughout the election. And that was an unholy alliance between George Galloway, who we know from the Labour Party, um, from Respect, the Muslim Party in Bradford, and then also from the Workers' Party of Great Britain, who I just mentioned. So very definitely a left-wing character. And he formed this alliance with Jamie Blackett, who is an old Etonian farmer from Dumfries and Galloway, who's mates with David Cameron and writes in The Telegraph about shooting and things. Their plan basically was to try and perform some sort of independence, anti-independence supermajority in the 2012 election. Anti-Scottish independence, sorry. Just... Anti-Scottish independence, yes. Uh, but now Fraser was one of their sort of rising star candidates. Uh, I think it was about a year ago, the SFP got into trouble as they started bricking up a sexual health clinic. So they got, they got actual bricks, big foam bricks and construction hats and went and blocked up the entrance to this place. Yeah, they've, wow. done, they've done a bunch of stunts, really, haven't they? That's how they're getting their name out there. Yeah, so as he puts it himself, he is anti-gender-bending, anti-science, pro-fantasy society. Um, he's also said that COVID is bogus and said he didn't follow any lockdowns. That was on a podcast with the neo-Nazi group Homeland. He's also been, in, yeah, he's spoken on various far-right podcasts. And yes, as you say, stunts are quite a big thing. And again, in his own words... He's going to wage a war on corruption and scalpel out the rainbow indoctrination in our education system. 
on the on the interviews, he was interviewed as well by the leader of Patriot Patriotic Alternative. Yes, um, yeah. which for those who who don't know is a British far right fascist neo Nazi and white nationalist group, which unfortunately does have following in in the UK. And he's been interviewed twice. Yes, he pops up quite regularly at these fringe podcasts. But it gives, it gives him quite a bit of traction. I'm not sure how religious he is, because I know Richard Lucas is, is very religious. Uh, that's why he chose to stand in uh, Ross Sky in the Lock Harbour against Ian Blackford. And that's where all this anti-abortion string to their bow comes from. But I think now Fraser is more concerned about the gender recognition and about independence. So there's, there's a bit of a, sort of a, a clashing of ideologies going on there. But he's definitely their, their star candidate. Can I can I ask a question? Um, so from the sounds of it, Scottish Family Party, quite extreme in their views, very, very much to, to the right, the far right, even arguably. You said you were taught by Richard uh, Lucas. W- was he like that at the time? Like Maybe you can give some insight, because I think you've got like a unique perspective of maybe what he was like then. Uh, yeah, so he's not changed much. So even when he was at school in 2015, he stood for UKIP. I think he was a Tory before that. But he was, he was famous for giving sermons, which perhaps wouldn't be acceptable today. Yes, I, after, after they let him go, um, he was famous for sending in letters to the Scotsman, which he'd sign with the, the school address at the bottom. Uh, these often were quite problematic. They were sort of anti, anti-woke, anti uh, anti-gay, pro-religious messages. Uh, he also once sold me a telephone. Um, what? <laughs> he used to go around confiscating mobile phones off kids, and then he wouldn't give them back. And then he just flogged them on to the next year. So he sold me some Chinese kid's phone for a tenner, a Motorola Crazer. I've no idea who it belongs to, but they'll probably won't get that back, I don't think. Do you still have it? I do, I do, because uh, it's all in Chinese. So I don't know how to use it. How is uh, your Chinese? Not good enough to be able to use this phone. <laughs> how many How many votes did they get, sorry? Um, 319. Because I think even for me, it's and I and again that's that's my own problem for where I sit politically on the center left. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's hard to see, you know, who's supporting the the Scottish Family Party, and uh, but but clearly they must have a bit of a support base. I mean, they've three hundred-ish folks. It's it's still it's still quite quite a bit. So I know they're very popular in some communities up in the Highlands, often where there's a We Free Church of Scotland. A community, which for those who don't know, is a sort of a, a separate religious organisation from the Church of Scotland. They they split off. They tend to be a little bit more out there with their religious views. And I gather Richard Lucas is very popular. And that's why they've targeted these sort of Highland Island seats in the past. Uh, and a final sort of interesting aside as well, they have virtual offices at the infamous 275 Bath Street. As we do more Scottish politics, you'll see this address coming up again and again and again. And it is the hallmark of a truly fringe party in Scotland, as it's one office in the middle of Glasgow where you could basically pay to have your address registered there. So I think Reform UK Scotland, all these parties, look out for the 275 Bath Street's hallmark of quality and you'll know you've got yourself a proper fringe party. There we go. And I think you did a really nice segue to our next <laughs> next party on the list. Yes, coming in at number six with 403 votes. We have David Stark of Reform UK. So I, I've actually got a, a bit of a personal connection to this. <laughs> um, so I, I was working, working in politics. My my old boss quit our party to stand as an independent and then went to go and join Reform UK Scotland as their first leader. I resigned by this point, so I didn't join her. But I, I, yeah, I've, I've peered briefly into the Reform UK abyss. So tell, tell us who that is and more about it. You, so you've got the amazing connections with the Scottish Family Party and Reform 
UK. I think we're learning learning a lot. Yeah, so in, interesting uh, connections here, Graham. Yeah, I was uh, Michelle Ballantyne. So I was working for a, a Tory MSP and, and it was basically in protest to, to lockdown. She couldn't, with her conscience, vote for lockdown measures. Um, so then she quit the party and, and, I, and I quit her office. But yes, uh, the one thing I asked her not to do was to go and join Nigel Farage. And lo and behold, a month later, she went and joined Nigel Farage's party. But Nigel quit. He quit about two weeks into her leadership. And that's like he took her motivation away. And she's now no longer leader, but didn't really ever make a official statement she just could have stopped doing things so what what do they stand for what what is reform it's it's obviously one of it's a new party they've got semi-decent following i would say on on, on twitter at least um over two hundred thousand followers i think but tell me about tell me about some of their policies because i'm can't say i know them uh, well they're, they're actually quite a big national party they're pulling on six percent across wow. the whole UK. So they, wow. they, they're, they're pulling much higher than the SNP. At a UK level, the SNP are only on 2% or something just because of the size of Scotland. But their vote's very spread out. They came out of the Brexit party, which is Nigel Farage's new party after UKIP. And then because Brexit happened, they kind of lost their motivation a bit. And Richard Tice took over the businessman. He also is going out with Isabel Oakshot, who leaked Mac Hancock's WhatsApps from COVID. It's a bit of a power couple there. So you're asking about Reform UK's policies. I can boil it down into four key points. Number one, lower taxes. Number two, net zero immigration. So they're very anti-immigration. That's a big plank of their policies. Three, cheaper energy. And four, zero waiting lists. So they're going for that that NHS ambulance chasing vote. Um, they kind of stand, they, they're, they're, again, they're anti-woke. They're in this electoral pact with Lawrence Fox's Reclaim Party. But they have a bit of a populist mandate as well, you know, um, so they, they target basically sort of discontented Labour voters. They thought they might get in the Hartlepool by-election. Uh, they didn't. And be, they're kind of a, a bit like a softer Lawrence Fox's reclaim party. But if you're trying to, one sentence summary, what are they trying to do? If Brexit's their main driving force and it's happened, are they one of those Brexit hasn't been done right, we need to do it right parties? There's a bit of that, but it's more changing politics so it suits them, I'd probably say is the most succinct way of putting it. So they're not really surrounded around Brexit anymore? Well, no, no. They, they talk a bit about it, but um, yeah, they kind of moved on for that now, just a general reform of the system. Now entering the top five and, and the giddy heights of 2% of the vote plus. I think so these are, I would say, are the more mainstream parties. We're going to do them all as, as a single talking point. Yeah, because I think, you know, this podcast, we're really exploring some of the parties that people maybe haven't heard of and, and the alternative ones. Whereas, yeah, the top five, you will definitely have, have heard of. So what, what where did they come in the ranking. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll go from first. As we said, Michael Shanks won it for Labour um, with 58.6% of the vote, 17,845. And as as Graham alluded to earlier, it was a 20% plus swing, wasn't it? Or about a 20% uh, from the S&P. I, li- I like him. We're not going to talk, obviously, too much about him, but i just say he's, he's a modern studies teacher, or was. Now he's obviously going to be in Parliament, has ran in several elections for Labour. Uh, seems like seems like a top bloke, I think. He ran to every neighbourhood in his constituency during the election. So he ran and tried to speak with... Oh, oh, literally ran. Literally ran, yeah. Oh. But he wasn't being chased by, <laughs> by the other candidates. He was... <laughs> yeah, it was, it was part of his publicity. Oh, no, no, not just that. During lockdown, he ran to every street in Glasgow. All 6,000. Wow. Because he was so bored. So he went jogging to everywhere. I'll quickly round off, the, well, go down the top five list again, and then we can talk about whichever candidate we'd like. So in second, we had Katie Loudon, who was the SNP candidate. Third, we had Thomas Kerr of the Conservatives. Fourth, Gloria 
a Debo for the Liberal Democrats, and then fifth, Cameron Eady for the Scottish Greens. Cameron, one of the youngest, I guess, political candidates in recent times, 20 years old. 601 votes for Cameron in fifth. Uh, I think his election was very much a, a knee-jerk reaction as Scottish Labour were having a crack at the Scottish Greens and basically accused them of being a, a branch office of the SNP, which is a line I'm sure they've been waiting to say for ages. Uh, and then uh, two hours later, lo and behold, the Greens announced this candidate. But they don't usually stand for Westminster. I don't think they've ever stood for a Westminster election before. It's not really their game. So it's quite an interesting call for them. And also risking splitting the vote as they were basically going up against their government partners because the Greens and the SNP are in a coalition. It's quite a strange move for them to try and take away votes. Or a smart smart move, because I think the SNP have been in power for, what, 16 years? I think the Greens see an opportunity to potentially gain a lot more seats in in the the, the next general election and when there's an election for the Scottish Parliament. So I think think they've got big ambitions, the Scottish Green Party. And I think it's worth pointing out that the Scots Greens, they're affiliated, but they're not the same party as the Greens in Westminster. They are their own separate party. Yes, they're, they're very definitely a, a different thing, and they take quite a different stance, particularly on progressive issues. Uh, there's been a lot of chat as well over the last year of the Scottish Greens potentially overtaking the Scottish Conservatives as the new third force. Uh, but what this by-election has shown is really that that isn't the case. Uh, it's also shown very poor morale in the SNP vote, which collapsed completely, as did, I, as did the Scottish Conservative vote, but that was to be expected. I was just going to say, you must have been very emotional when the result came through, Graham. <laughs> the conservative vote was quite bad, and I think they lost their deposit as well. Oh, yeah, yes, I, I, yes. I feel I feel sorry for Thomas Kerr. I, I, I know Thomas; he's, he's a nice lad. Um, but ultimately, you know, a unionist win is a unionist win, and I think you know, what you'll find is a lot of the votes we got, the Scottish Conservatives got in Hamilton last time, would be Labour unionists, and now they've gone back, and now they see it as strong prospects. I don't think anyone's too upset in the Scottish Conservative side. I saw a member of the Shadow Cabinet hailing it as the beginning of an SNP wipeout. He seemed quite chuffed, and most other people I know seem quite chuffed as well. Anything on other two female candidates on the list, Gloria Adebo for the Liberal Democrats or Katie Loudon for the SNP? Katie Loudon, she was a a primary school teacher. Uh, She's from the constituency, which is good. She's not been dropped in. She's also a local councillor. But I know the SNP have had a lot of trouble with this by-election. It's the first time I've seen them do expectation management. So all the way in, Hamza Youssef has been saying it's going to be very challenging. They're not sure they're going to win. I know they're having trouble getting activists to go out. I think there's been a real drop in sort of on-the-ground support. It's the point where the SNP chief whip was giving their politicians slips to you know, so they could not have to be in parliament to go and campaign. And I gather they, they weren't doing that. They were just taking the, the time off. And it was only really... Um, SNP politicians out leafleting very few activists so things being trouble troublesome one for them what can we learn from the results here because as you say this is the first election post the Nicola Sturgeon troubles and her stepping down that we've seen for the SNP and obviously this seat traditionally has been a Labour seat and then flipped to the, the SNP um, and a bit of back and forth as well what lessons do you think we can draw from this when sort of thinking of our next general election coming up in well 2024 or 2025 whenever they decide well, there's a real litmus test, this, and everyone's been very excited about seeing this because it's in the first true test. It's a very marginal seat as well. And basically, now Labour have won this, it brings into play a whole swathe of seats in their former heartland in the central belt, seats which five years ago would have looked unwinnable. But basically, Labour have to win Scotland to get an absolute majority in the next general election. If Keir Starmer wants to be unopposed in Dadding Street, he needs to win these seats. 
shall we open our envelopes to see how we did now that yes. we've gone through the results? So we've all got envelopes. Um, I don't. Did you did you get an envelope, Graham? I, I have a virtual envelope because I, I live in twenty twenty three. I I used some heading paper that I had on my desk, which was called Hamilton House, which I thought was quite relevant. Very nice. I should clarify that they are not um, sponsoring this podcast, but they are getting a free free shout out regardless. Well, I I can start. So I had Labour and SNP for a second. Yep. Got there. Uh, And then I was wrong on everything else. I can go next. Uh, yeah, I had Labour S and P one two, and then I got the the Lib Dems and Tories on way around. I had them as three four instead of four three. Got Cameron Eady correct at number five, and then I think fair to say not correct for these other guys going down. I even I even managed to have Gary Cook at number eleven, so I was very much overestimating. Yeah, so. I I I had him at eleven as well. I had uh, Andrew Daly, the man with no policies whatsoever <laughs> or a campaign, right at the bottom. Go on, Graham. Bet you got it all right. No, no, I got quite, but I, 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 I did quite well. I, I also fell into the Andrew Daly trap of putting him bottom. <laughs> um, but I had Labour top, then the SNP. But I've written next to that, it'll be close, so way off there. Then <laughs> uh, I, I fell for the hype. I've got the Greens at third, then the Conservatives, Lib Dems, uh, the Reform Party, Scottish Family Party. So I, I that little stretch is right. So they're not quite too good. Far. That's quite good. I had Vault doing quite well. I think. I think looking at mine and reflecting on it, it's very much, very much showing what I would hope to happen in in the uh, in the election rather than what would likely happen. It's, it's like fantasy football. You got to you got to pick. You got to be objective about it. And then you always you always pick a couple from your own team, even though you shouldn't. You always chuck them up higher than they should be. And maybe to to finish, um, we could go over a few quotes from our our favorite quotes from this campaign. I've got one for you here. Looks like I've smashed the other small parties, so quite the result. Well, that's got to be somebody that did all right. Um, I'm going to go for your friend of mine, Andrew Daly. Lyle Fraser of the Scottish Family Party. Wow. Mm. I, I've, I can go next. I'm going to do it in, in the accent, I think, most appropriate. Um, off with their heads as we keep ours. The unfinished revolution must be finished. Like, that, that's got to be either Bill Bonner or the trade unionists. No, I think that's going to be Colette Walker from the ISP. Do you? Yeah, all good guesses. Um, It is Bill Bonner. Yeah, Graham got it spot on. Lovely stuff. So I think that's about all we've got time for here. Thanks for joining us for this Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election special. So it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Will. Goodbye. Goodbye from Graham. Goodbye. And I think to play you out, there's there's only one choice, right? There's only one choice. It's the man, the myth, cryptocurrency pioneer, fine art auteur, fashionista, Prince Ankit Love. Here you are with one of his not-so-hit singles. Away we go. Yeah.